This season of What She Did Next is brought to you by Women's Agenda, a daily news publication for women. When a baby is born with a unique infrastructure, the focus kind of shifts from all the endless opportunities of a new life to all the things that may go wrong. And to me, that's, you know, that's a terrible way of looking at life. Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. Becoming a first-time mum should be a joyful celebration, but what if everyone around you was saying sorry instead of congratulations? My guest today is Ingelise Farleng, and she's the founder of 21 Gifts, an initiative she started with her husband after their first daughter, Maya, was born with Down syndrome. Maya's welcome to the world was not as Ingelise wanted, not because of her daughter's diagnosis, but because of the response of the medical staff around her. The idea that her beautiful daughter was something to be sorry about was absolutely crushing. But then, a special delivery to her hospital room, in the form of a little suitcase, completely turned everything around. Now, Ingelise is on a mission to pay forward that gift of hope to other parents facing a similar child diagnosis. And she's working with hospitals across Australia and New Zealand on better ways to talk to families about babies born with a little extra. I spoke to Ingelise about her journey to launching 21 Gifts, how she succeeded in getting more than 100 hospitals on board in the first year, what the reality of having a daughter with Down syndrome has actually been like, and how she now juggles her day job with growing the movement that 21 Gifts has become. With a background in communications, organisational coaching and positive psychology, Ingelise was the perfect person to start 21 Gifts. And it was so lovely to catch up with her, as we actually worked together quite a few years back now on a national health magazine. So to wrap up season three of the show, I'm very happy to bring you this conversation with Ingelise Farleng. So Ingelise, I'm very happy to be talking to you today about your work with 21 Gifts, but can you start by telling us a bit about your background and what life as a kid looked like for you? Absolutely. I grew up on a small island above the Arctic Circle in Norway, and it was absolutely beautiful, just, you know, really close to nature. It was raw and wild and Arctic and full of contrast because we had the time of darkness in winter where the sun was always below the horizon for a few months. So, you know, very dark. (laughs) Uh, But then in summer, we had the opposite where the sun never set. So to me, it was just a childhood full of contrast. And I was really lucky in the sense too that my parents took me traveling from I was little. They were academics. So they kind of saved all year. And then we took a two-month holiday every summer driving across Europe and Russia. And I just love daydreaming. So I, I used to spend, you know, the time when we weren't traveling, sitting in my room with my globus <sighs> and spinning it and then, you know, putting my finger on it and daydreaming about what it'd be like to live wherever my finger pointed to. Well, you did go on a big adventure when you finished school. You decided to study communications here in Australia, which is pretty far from your home country. So how did that come about and why did you choose Australia? I think Australia really chose me because when I finished school in Norway, I moved to America to do a gap year working for Walt Disney World. And while I was there, I applied for universities all over the world. And I just said that the first one to get back to me 
that's where I'm going to go. And it happened to be Sydney University. Right. Okay. And so where did you see your career heading at that point? You were studying comms, which is a broad field. So yeah, what did you enjoy about that and and where did it take you? So when I first started studying communications, I pictured myself having a career as a journalist because I just love the power of words. Uh, But I actually got a job in our PR agency in the city uh, straight after graduating So I went into public relations and I spent about six years working actually across Australia and Europe um, in international consultancies, focusing on health communications. Um, I did a lot of work for the pharmaceutical industry, but also consumer brands like Helly Hansen and Adidas. But then after about six or seven years in the field, I started getting more and more interested in the human side of organizations. Um, I was really drawn to, you know, the impact of corporate cultures on why some companies succeed and why some stumble. So I was working uh, in Norway at the time, and I had a lot of conversations with the CEO of the Norwegian consultancy at the time. And he was an amazing man who was actually really supporting of me pursuing this interest. So with his support... I applied for a Master of Organisational Coaching here in Sydney. Uh, and again, with his support, I actually was able to move back to Australia and really get to spend a whole year just diving into that wonderful world of organisational development. Uh, and that's also when I came across positive psychology, which has become such a major part of my life, both you know personally and also professionally. Well, yeah, I remember when we worked together a few years back now on a national health magazine. I really loved reading the articles that you wrote about positive psychology and how it could be employed in all aspects of your life, from relationships to happiness at work to general contentment and well-being. So can you talk a bit about that and why it became such a focus for you? Oh, of course I can. Actually, how long do you have? Because you know me, Jackie, this is my all-time favourite topic. Um, and I think the first thing I should say, though, is that it is not a happyology because, you know, when you talk about positive psychology and you hear the word positive, you just it's easy to assume that, you know, it's only about the power of positive thinking. And, and the fact is that it's not, um, you know, positive psychology. It acknowledges that life can be really, really hard you know, all the hardship that comes along with being a human being. But where it differs from traditional psychology is that instead of studying what's wrong with people and how to fix it, it actually looks to what's right with us and then how we can use our own psychological strengths and resources to really flourish even in difficult situations. So I guess it's a really solution-focused approach um, and it looks at three different areas. So it looks at it from an individual level uh, and then at a team level and also at an organizational or society level. So it's just a really, you know, it's a really nice and applicable framework, both for, you know, your personal life and professionally as well. Well, I wanted to come now to the arrival of little Maya in your life. And I believe you and your partner were living in Norway at the time. So can you talk a bit about that period and your experience of becoming a new mum? Absolutely. Um, I actually can't believe that, you know, that Maya is already five years old and she is just the coolest of five-year-olds. She's she's all zen and all drama at the same time. So she's just, you know, <laughs> this really funny kid. Um, but, you know, it's like you said, it's five years ago. Uh, she was born in Norway and I just, I still remember that feeling when she was born. And, you know, when they put her on my chest, these tiny, tiny, you know, 2.6 kilos, uh, you know, that was placed on my chest and how she just melted into me. 
and I was in mama heaven. Um, <laughs> and I just remember, you know, the atmosphere in the, the room, how happy everyone were, you know, and cheering and saying how perfect she was. Uh, she scored 10 out of 10 on that, you know, the newborn APCA score that they do straight away. And she was just perfect. And I just felt like, you know, this is what I've always wanted. Um, you know, mm. I, I finally became a mom after years of trying. So to me, it was a really momentous moment in my life. Well, your experiences in the hospital were, were really joyful initially, as you said. But I mean, I understand things took a, a bit of a turn for you a couple of days after she was born. Are you able to share what happened? For a moment, it was a little bit back in the hospital. It was a bit like, you know, the movie Sliding Doors. Because me and my husband, we walked into what we thought was a routine check that wasn't routine at all. But, you know, we walked in there having no idea at all and just being delirious with joy and just so, so proud. And I remember walking into that room, sitting down and then just noticing the energy in the room and how that just shifted, how you, you could just feel that something was different. And then the doctor looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, I'm so sorry. I think your daughter has Down syndrome. And to me, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the diagnosis that floored me because I didn't even know that much about Down syndrome, but it was that shift in energy that I mentioned. It's, you know, mm. and that shift, it stayed there. So we kind of went from congratulations to, you know, to stories in, you know, in an instant. So well, I guess my first days of being Maya's mom, they were terrifying because I was so in love with her that I couldn't breathe. And then I was so scared that I couldn't sleep because I just kept thinking about all of these things that the doctors kept telling us that could go wrong in the future, but they were saying them as if it, as if they would happen. And I just felt like right. that reduced my little darling baby girl to something less, you know, not this beautiful, perfect little baby girl that, you know, two days before they had a suspected diagnosis, they were all like, she's perfect. You know, she's scoring 10 out of 10. She's healthy. You know, this was a very healthy, thriving baby. And then yeah. in that instant, in that room, she kind of, it just flipped into, you know, like this, you know, she flipped from being a beautiful little baby into a syndrome and something to feel sorry about. And I still believe that is a terrible, terrible way to celebrate the beginning of a life. Mm. Well, yeah, I was really struck. I heard you in an interview saying that, you know, because of the way that diagnosis was delivered, you almost thought her life was over before it even started, you know, because of the reaction of the, the doctors and nurses in the room. And yeah, as you said, you know, outlining all of these things that could go wrong. And that's just not the way most babies would be welcomed into the world. It's so unfair because being human, you know, it's hard. It comes with billions of risks. And we all know that, yes. but no one tells a new parent about all the things that are challenging about, about being a human being. You know, when you have a baby, you don't, you're not given a list of these are all the health risks associated with being human. You know, these are all the things that may happen in school from bullying to, you know, all of those things that, you know, that are very real risk in a human life. But we don't talk about that. But when a baby is born with a unique infrastructure, the focus kind of shifts from all the endless opportunities of a new life to all the things that may go wrong. Um, mm. and to me, that's, you know, that's a terrible way, um, of looking at life. And I think it takes real strength to stand up in that situation and to really refuse that negative discourse and that map to, you know, a life of languishing and to realize that most of those things, they will never ever happen. And to really think like, you know, me and Daniel did, we, we took a wow in that, you know, in the hospital room 
we looked at each other and, and we said that, hey, you know, life, it's still as unpredictable and wild as, and, you know, and precious as ever. And that whatever it throws at us, we have the power to choose how we live it. Yes. And I think that takes strength in a situation like that to really be able to see that big picture and not that, you know, not that little bubble that's been, that you've been put into. Well, you were in hospital, I think, for a couple of weeks, which, you know, must have been a very difficult time. But, you know, something did happen just as you were due to leave that completely turned things around again for the positive this time. Can you tell us about that moment? Yeah, we had a, we had a knock on the door and this special nurse walked in and this nurse looked amazing. She'd been away. She walked in the room with a little red suitcase and she handed it to us and it was actually a gift from parents who'd walked before us. So parents with children with Down syndrome uh, and it contained some gifts. But what really stood out to me in the suitcase was this book that was actually written by a journalist that I'd worked with before in my, you know, through my job. And I had no idea that he had a daughter with Down syndrome, but he'd written a book about his experience and about, you know, all the joys that his daughter brought him. Uh, And I opened this book, me and my husband, and we just could not stop reading because, you know, it was just such an amazing, joyful story um, of this girl's life and of this family's life. And this girl just broke, just flipping the pages, it just broke down every single stereotype that you could ever have had because, you know, uh, her name is Marike. and, And when she was 10 years old, she skied down the black runs in Switzerland, like, you know, skiing the black runs yeah. in Switzerland. I'm just going to repeat <laughs> that because I can't <laughs> ski down the black runs in Switzerland. <laughs> so it was just that, you know, it was just this beautiful, beautiful gift to receive because it showed us all the opportunities uh, ahead and really helped to, you know, to shift that, I guess, that very medical view of a diagnosis into, hold on, you know, what? does this look like in real life? And I think to me, it really painted a picture of a future that I didn't really know how to imagine. Well, you were so inspired by the positive impacts of that kind delivery that you've since brought the concept here to Australia. And it is incredible to see what you've achieved in such a short time. So can you tell us a bit about 21 Gifts and why you started it? 21 Gifts is a kindness project to rewrite that opening act of a child diagnosis. So to really shift how we do that at a systemic level in the hospitals. So I've set up a project to help the health professionals balance the medical information with hope, with inspiration and the celebration of a new life. So I guess it's, you know, put the baby in the front seat, not the diagnosis. And so, you know, it's a hospital based program where I offer hospitals free welcome to the world suitcases that they then give to parents at the time of diagnosis. And it helps to act as a physical reminder for them as well to celebrate, uh, which is why I call it a suitcase for a new adventure, because, you know, (laughs) that is what it is. It's it's, it's a beautiful new adventure. And what, what goes into the suitcases? What do the families receive? So the suitcase, it shows parents that this new adventure, it's not something to be afraid of, and it shows them that they're not alone. It's packed with gifts. Uh, it's got letters from parents who walked before them. And from our days in the magazine business, you know, I've put together a mini magazine in there that contains stuff like, you know, 10 things that nobody tells you about Down syndrome. And it's all evidence-based about quality of life, you know, smashing of stereotypes, you know, examples of, you know, all the wonderful things that people with Down syndrome do and the fact that they live absolutely beautiful and meaningful and rich lives. 
Um, mm. So it's got things like that in there. Uh, and it also got a list of all of my favorite online and real communities because I think, and I think that's important because I'm not actually trying to create a community for parents. There are so many amazing communities out there already. So I'm just trying to help parents find these communities, you know, straight up so that you don't sit there alone in a hospital room and you don't even know where to look. And you, you know, you go to Google and you know, you know, if you Google headache, you know what will come up. So you can imagine yes. what will come up if you Google, you know, if you Google Down syndrome uh, or if you Google special needs parenting, you know. So I'm trying to just help direct them directly to all the amazing communities out there, like, you know, Celebrate T21, um, Two Piece in a Podcast, The Brave Space, um, The Kindship app. You know, there are so many wonderful resources out there. Uh, so we try to just direct them straight there. And it's not just about the gifts for the families, but you also provide guidance for health professionals, right, around the language and, and words they could be using to deliver these diagnoses in a very different way, which comes back to your work in positive psychology as well. So can you give some examples of, of how it can be done differently and, and more positively? Yes, and, and I love that you said that, Jackie, because that's that's so true. It's easy to think that 21 Gifts is about that suitcase because that's the physical side of it. Uh, but it's not really, you know, because what I'm trying to do here is to create real lasting systemic change. So the suitcase, that's just one part of 21 Gifts. And the part that I probably love the most is to, you know, that has to do with the educational side. So mm. I do seminars, I do ground runs, you know, I go and visit hospitals and I, I talk at a lot of conferences where I merged my background in the science of coaching psychology with change management and crisis communication. And then I add my experience as my mom on top of that. And so what are some, yeah, are there some examples you can give of, you know, you said the worst thing that you heard when she was born was these I'm sorry's when normally you would hear congratulations. Is there just a little example you could give of how a health professional could just, you know, reframe the way they talk to you as a new parent? So one of the ways that you can reframe the opening act of a diagnosis story into one, you know, that, sh that shines lights on all their opportunities and possibilities, it's just to be mindful of the language you bring to the table. So instead of saying, I've got bad news, try saying, I've got some unexpected news. It's a very big difference in that. Uh, you know, don't mm. say things like, I'm sorry. Uh, and then when you're showing, you know, be mindful of the difference between empathy and sympathy. Because you can feel for somebody in a situation and acknowledge that, you know, what you're going through, that, you, you know, a lot of feelings may be coming up for you, but you don't have to treat them as if you feel sorry for them. Um, yes. And I yeah. think, yeah, so it's like some of those things are quite subtle. Uh, but then it's also, you know, just be mindful of, of actually even upskilling, you know, like I try to help upskill the health professionals in the latest research around Down syndrome because for a lot of health professionals, you know, they, you know, you may have done your degree, you know, 20 years ago where the findings were quite different to what they are right now. So yeah. a lot of the health professionals that I talk with, they say that they haven't actually, they had no idea about all the, you know, the latest research about what life with Down syndrome actually looks like. And then being aware of that, that helps them shape the diagnosis story in a completely different way because it isn't something to be sorry about. It's actually just a little bit different than what parents may have imagined, but there is absolutely nothing to be sad or sorry about for a child born with Down syndrome. 
And how did you know where to begin with getting all of this off the ground? Like what were some of the first steps you took to to start 21 Gifts? It's quite funny because it actually became harder not to do it than to actually do it. And I think that's where you look at it. You know, when you when you feel a real calling to do something, where it was almost like all of my all of my professional background and my personal experience, it just merged. Uh, one of mm. my friends calls it having soul in the game, and I think that's so right because suddenly it was like I couldn't not do it. I just you know like I was sitting on the idea for quite a while, and I kept thinking you know because I spoke with a lot of um, a lot of charities and not for profits, and they all kind of said you know you're crazy, you will never get into the hospitals because it, it's quite difficult to get into hospitals. And I just thought, you know what, I think I can do it. So I'm just not going to listen to people who say that I can't. <laughs> and I thought, even if I fail, I have to try because it just became harder not to actually put it out there. So I dug deep into some of my old networks from when I did health communications here in Sydney in, in PR agencies. So, yeah, so I contacted some, you know, professors and some doctors. Um, I went to see, you know, a few pediatricians um, and everyone just loved the concept and said that they would do everything that they could to help. So I thought, you know, let's let's give it a real go. So I decided to take three months off from my corporate career and just put okay. everything that I had into it uh, and really work hard to set it up. And what I didn't know of course, when I did this, is that COVID was about to hit. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. So yes. did that have a negative impact or what? What? how did that affect it? You know what? Funnily enough, it actually, I think it had a positive effect on it because, you know, at first I was mortified because I had all these hospital meetings and everything lined up and I was so proud of it because I was meeting with some of the biggest hospitals here in Sydney. And obviously all of those meetings got cancelled because I couldn't, you know, you couldn't accept visitors to the hospitals. Uh, but then what happened is that they came back to me and they said that, you know, just knowing about this project and seeing the suitcases, because I had the suitcases then sent over to them instead. And I, kept, you know, and I kept getting phone calls from health professionals saying that, you know, the hospitals were busting and everyone were talking about it and it was the best timing because it gave everyone something good to think about and something happy to think about. So it kind of brought joy into, you know, what was a really shitty situation for the health professionals because, you know, they were walking around waiting for the influx of, you know, like, you know, the biggest health crisis in Australia, which luckily never came, but they didn't know that back then. Yes. So I think, yeah, they saw this little suitcase as just like a little, you know, like just a tiny little piece of happiness in the hospitals. Well, you've already got more than 100 hospitals on board in your first year, which is just amazing. What kind of feedback are you getting from the hospital staff now that they're, you know, actually at the point of giving these gifts to families? Like, have you heard from families that are receiving these gifts? Yeah, yes, I've heard um, both. So the health professionals are all, and I've got to say, you know, I had an idea and a concept, but really it's the health professionals who made this happen because they didn't have to use it. They didn't have to, you know, to become part of this, but they just stepped out and, you know, and they started spreading the word amongst their colleagues and they invited me to do hospital rounds and to speak at, you know, all the big conferences. So I think in terms of, you know, who are to thank for this, it's actually the amazing health professionals who just really, you know, they saw this and they said, this is fantastic because it can help me in my job to help new parents and new families. And I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is that they also, because that's kind of my overarching goal, is that 
I don't want this to just be about a Down syndrome diagnosis. I think the concept, you know, has the power to change how you approach any child diagnosis. And I actually got an email from a new mom in New Zealand just the other day. And what I really, really loved about her email is that she said how amazing the doctors had been and how they sat down and they looked through, you know, our little mini magazine together and they spoke mm-hmm. about, you know, what is the most important thing to us parents, which is all about, you know, quality of life. You know, we want to know, will my child be happy? Will I be happy? How will family life look like? You know, how is this all going to play out? So it was just, it's been really nice to see that a lot of the parents say that these are the conversations that they're they are having with the doctors. And how can people get behind what you're doing? Like, I know you have a GoFundMe page. I mean, is that the best way people can help if they're inspired to get on board? I think, you know, first of all, spread the word to, you know, your local hospitals. Uh, Like Jackie mentioned, we're in more than 100 hospitals. I think we're at 120 hospitals, you know, as I speak now. Um, And that's across Australia and New Zealand, right? That's right, yeah. So that's Australia and New Zealand. But, you know, if you think that this is something for your local hospital, you know, have a chat with them. Let them know. Um, I've got material that you can help send in to them. Uh, and then if you are in a position to help us fill these suitcases with love, you know, we, we do accept donations through our GoFundMe page. Uh, and people are also donating gifts. So, you know, if, if people uh, are really good at knitting, we've got people making handmade baby blankets and toys and all mm-hmm. sorts. And we're also, I think, because we've kind of moved from, you know, when I started this, I called it a passion project because I imagined that this would be something that I did, you know, next to my work. And, you know, maybe we would get 40 hospitals, you know, in the first couple of years. But now, you know, it just exploded. So I think I think one of my really big goals now is actually also looking at corporate sponsorships. Um, We got our first one just the other month with Hyrox, oh, wow. which is an incredible company in the disability sector, yeah. And we're really looking at extending that now because, you know, 120 hospitals, it's actually, you know, it's a movement now. It's not a tiny little project. And to keep restocking these, you know, to keep filling these suitcases with love for them and also just having the time to go out and really do the educational side of things. Um, mm. We've also been contacted by hospitals to asking for our help to put together, um, you know, a health professional's guide to talk about a child diagnosis. So that's a separate project that we're also involved in. So there's so many ways that people can help. Well, it is about a year now since you launched 21 Gifts. And I know that it is something that you run with your your husband on top of your day jobs, as you said. So how are you managing that juggle now and making it all work? Oh, I don't know if I am, am I? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the juggle is definitely real. You know, I've got two kids under five, so life is hectic. And I work, you know, I head up communications for our tech startup. So life is just really, really, really busy uh, and really exciting. And I find that the best way to juggle it all, I can't remember who it was who said it, but someone smart said that, (laughs) you know, be clear on what walls are in the air. And, you know, are they rubber balls? Are they, you know, crystal? You know, what are they? And then figure out which ones will crack and which ones will bounce. And then you, you know, you focus on, <laughs> you focus on the balls that That's will so smash. Cool. Yeah. You know, I'm quite a visual person. I like putting things in my mind. So sometimes I just, vis- <laughs> you know, I actually visualize all of these things in my mind as balls. And I go, okay, which ones do I have to catch? Uh, and which ones can I, you know, pick up later? 
Yes, that's very yeah. good advice. Um, and you've had a lot of success in your first year, as we've said, but what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned or some of the biggest obstacles you've had to overcome in terms of starting an initiative like this? I think I think the biggest lesson learned is, I think there's a couple in there. The first one is to be really, I had to be really aware of my own strengths because it's so easy, especially when you're starting up and when you're working for yourself to get really stretched and you mm-hmm. kind of try to cover up everything. And I, I really felt that that left me prone to imposter syndrome where I kept feeling that maybe I'm not good enough or maybe I've just been lucky. Maybe it was just, you know, the timing and then yeah, so I had to really like look at look myself in the mirror and just be aware of my key strengths and help keep that kind of imposter syndrome in check by that. Mm. Um, and then the other learning is actually that I've always, one of my goals in life has always been to say yes to opportunities and that if I felt scared, say yes, because, you know, that's, that's going to lead to something great. But I've actually come to see that I think I sometimes say yes to too much, uh, so yes. <laughs> I'm really now learning to also say no to the things that I don't think, you know, will work for me. Uh, so mm. I try to say no to too much, you know, external stuff. And then I try to say yes to myself, to just create my own space to, you know, to just be me, to breathe, to be a mom, to be me drinking cocktails with my girlfriends, you know, just, <laughs> just that kind of like that sanity break and to, to really keep a divide. And I know that we've spoken about this before, Jackie, you know, that divide between your career personality and, and yourself and not get that, you know, it's so difficult because we're all like slash, you know, we're like, you know, writers slash comms professionals slash marketing slash, you know, <laughs> those slash occupations. And I find that that's beautiful, but I also really want to try to keep, but, you know, I want to make sure that I leave space to just be me and that I'm enough in myself Yes. Yeah, totally. And I think, and obviously that will reflect back in the work that you're doing as well. I think when we're too stretched, you know, you can't possibly be at your best. Whereas if you're really allowing that time that you need to recharge and, you know, you're really, the work benefits as well, ultimately. Um, And you do have two beautiful daughters now, as you said, Maya, who is five and Lola, who is two. So how is everything going and, and what does family life look like for you now? Well, family life for us, it is, it's crazy, but I think it's that <laughs> crazy good <laughs> because the girls are so different. They have beautiful, you know, and opposite personalities. So what Maya is quite calm and zen and Lola's like this wildflower who just wants to play and who's like, she's very high energy. So I think we try to do things as a family so that, that kind of fits everyone. Um, but we do spend a lot of time in nature. And I love that. So it's like if there's like one way to describe our family, I think I'd say that we're an outdoor kind of family and that, mm. you know, it's a, it's a good way for me and my husband as well to just escape, you know, work or the pressures of what you think you should be doing. And we just hit nature because you can't do anything there anyway. You know, it really forces you to be in the moment. Um, yes. Yeah, so we do that. We hit the bush tracks. We go to the beach. We just spend a lot of time outdoors. And knowing what you know now versus those early days in the hospital, what do you wish someone had told you back then about the the reality or the full picture of having a daughter with Down syndrome? Oh, I really do wish I knew all the things that I know today because I wouldn't have wasted a second worrying about the future. Um, You know, my life now and our life, it's better than I ever imagined before we had kids 
we live it to the max in our, you know, unique way. And if anything, my extra chromosome, it just brought us so much more, like a real connection to ourselves and to, to others. Um, and I guess I wish that the facts on quality of life was really included in the diagnosis conversation because all the academic studies out there, they are like mythbusters in breaking those old and outdated stereotypes. Um, mm. Like, for example, a lot of us think that the impact on the family will be hard, but there's actually a less statistical chance of divorce. Uh, and it's not because oh, right. life is so hard that you can't get, a, get divorced, but it's because the academics have found that the side effects um, of having a child with Down syndrome is improved perspective, improved meaning, improved joy. And, you know, it's, yeah, I, I just love seeing studies like that come out because it really does speak to my experience. So I love that we actually now have, you know, evidence-based, um, evidence-based facts out there saying that this is actually true. It's not just something families say, but, but it's something that, that happens across the range. Um, mm. and with Down syndrome, it's, it's a mild to moderate intellectual disability. So the opportunities are just endless. And, you know, people with Down syndrome, they live rich and beautiful and really meaningful lives. They've got amazing friendships. They go to mainstream schools. You know, some even take off to universities and travel the world. And, you know, people work and they, they do crazy things like running triathlons and Ironmans. And, you know, they get married and just, you know, live beautiful lives to their own beat. And I just want to point out that, you know, this is my story. This is my story as a mom. It's my perspective. And we're all different. So no family is going to have the same, you know, the exact same experience. And also, I know that I'm talking on behalf of Maya in some of this. And when she's old enough, of course, she will have her own voice. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm just sharing my parental perspective, I guess, on what it's like receiving a diagnosis um, for your child. And so what's next for you and for 21 Gifts? I mean, what, where do you hope all of this goes? Oh, you know me, Jackie. I have big and wild dreams. It's, uh, I love to daydream. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to run, you know, I have so many plans. I would love to run 21 Gifts as a proper business or as a proper not-for-profit, you know, with a big team. I'd like to get you involved. You know, and where we focus a lot on educational outreach in the health sector. Uh, and then I also want to finish. I've got a couple of books that I started writing in those early diagnosis days. And I've kind of kept them, you know, stored at the back of my cupboard. But I'd love to take them out and really, you know, finish them. And then my hairiest dream is to do a PhD. Like, I'd love to go back to school. Wow. I'd love to study the application of positive psychology into a child diagnosis framework and really look at the outcomes of that, both for the health professionals and also for the families. So we're all about women making brave choices on this podcast, and you've certainly taken on many brave challenges and changes in your life and career. What would you say has been your bravest moment and how did you find the courage to go for it? My bravest moment is actually having a second child. Um, and that wasn't because I was scared of, a, a, you know, another diagnosis. I actually wasn't, but I almost died when um, I gave birth to Maya because my placenta got stuck and, you know, I had a big blood loss. So I was really mm -hmm. terrified of giving birth again. And I kind of said, I don't want to die. So I don't want to have another child. And I was really, I was convinced that that would happen. Um, so really, you know, it sounds really dramatic, but 
Well, I no, guess not, not if you've experienced something that traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, but you know, it was a great realization though, because you know, I used to think that I could control everything, and that was quite exhausting. So, I think the, you know, the way that I came to say that, you know, like, let's give this a try. Let's actually do this. Is that I just took a while to myself to let go of everything that I can't control and just to trust, you know, the universe and just to be. And that's when we decided to have Lola. <laughs> and it all turned out beautifully. But yeah, I get, you know, I think that's a big lesson even that a lot of us can take from COVID, you know, like all of that, well, anyone that I think really thrives on certainty and and feeling like you have a sense of control, even if we don't really, I think all of that out went out the window with the pandemic and we've all had to, yeah, adjust to life with a little bit more uncertainty and, and be okay with it, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And I think a lot of us find inspiration from other women too. Who are some of the women that you look to and who inspire you? Oh, there are so many. Um, but professionally, I have to mention my friend and my first mentor, uh, Christy Chong, um, who I worked with a billion years ago. She's the founder of Muddy Body. And I think she's just such an incredible combination of being a real human. You know, she's vulnerable, but she's strong. She's always supportive of others she ought you know she always wants to help and she's really real about family and and then you know she built a business empire from real life women's health issues that we didn't used to talk about you know from bladder leaks and the period and i think you know she started this how many years ago now? i can't even remember i need a coffee but she started <laughs> it you know years and years ago before it became trendy to talk about these things and that's yeah. why I just admire her so much because she was, you know, she was ahead of the trend on sustainability, on inclusion and women's health. And to me, that's just what being really brave is. And then I think growing up in Norway, it's such a gender equal society. And I was raised by my parents to, you know, to look up to all of those who paved the way for others. And from my, from I was six until like, I, was, I think I was 16. We had a female prime minister, you know, and it was a female-led cabinet. So, you know, we don't have boy or girl schools in Norway. You know, all the dads have to take paternity leave. So things back home where I grew up, it was just always equal. And I kind of took that for granted. But at the same mm. time, I was raised to really, you know, to really look up to everyone who paved the way. And I think yeah. now, right here in Australia, you know, it's such a big realization that, you know, as a society, we're not there yet. So I'm just constantly in awe of all the amazing women and, you know, the men too, who are doing all the hard work, both those on the stands, but also those, everyone who works behind the scenes, because it's, I, I really do think that as amazing as Australia is, we've got such a long way to go with gender equality. Mm. Yes, indeed. Um, and if there's someone listening out there who might be facing a child diagnosis of their own or any kind of unexpected challenge or big change in their life, do you have any final tips for them? I think that it's important, no matter what situation it is that we're facing, to just be mindful of the fact that we all have the power to really write our own story. Uh, we you know, it's like we are the author of our own life. And it may sound like a stupid cliche, but it's actually not. Uh, and sometimes, you know, life takes unexpected twists, but the final pages in our book, they haven't been written yet. And so if you are in the thick of the storm, you know, like whatever the storm is, but if you're in that thick of it where it's almost difficult to breathe and things are just feeling really, really difficult, 
then just trust that that will actually slow down. It's like a snowstorm. You know, it will slow down and it's going to reveal a new and more beautiful landscape that you could ever imagine. And it's like when you go traveling, you know, sometimes you get lost, you get off the grid and it's terrifying and you just wonder how the heck you're going to get back on track. But then you, some, you know, after a little while, you may realize that, you know, being off the grid, going on that detour was the most amazing part of the entire adventure. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today, Ingalise, and for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me here. It was so wonderful to talk with you again. That was Ingalise Farling, founder of 21 Gifts, which you can find at 21gifts.com. We'll put the details in our show notes. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe, and we are proud to be a part of the Women's Agenda Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.